0: that song, I, I hope that that was a prayer for each one of us, here's my heart, speak what is true, and that's what it's all about, that you would speak uh, into the darkness, that your spirit would move in our chaos, that you would bring about order and, and life, so Lord, we uh, surrender ourselves to you and, and ask that your spirit would move, in Jesus' name, Amen. So, no surprise to me, it's been a crazy morning, week one of A Church Without Curtains. Um, I am super excited about what God is going to do uh, here at Grace through this study and through the small groups that we've put together. Uh, and in a lot of ways, we are beginning a journey today, a journey that I think is going to be a journey over the next few years, but sort of launched, our pilgrimage starts with this eight-week study. Uh, we talk about being a mosaic, striving to live like Jesus, that's our our mission statement, we are a mosaic striving to live like Jesus. And, and one of the key essentials to striving or passionately pursuing, as uh, Bryce defined it, living like Jesus, is that you uh, are connected with other people. That you actually do life in the company of other followers. And, and that you are, are in a situation where you're being held accountable and you're being encouraged and you're being prayed for. It's, it's an absolute necessity to living like Jesus. So the fact of the matter is you can't do this thing we call Christianity on your own. And so the reason why so much energy and effort has been put into this Church Without Curtain study and, and putting all the small groups together is we know that truth. And we are trying to, to launch something new in and, and grace and something uh, of a deeper connection in small groups. So what I want to tell you today that if you're not in a small group, there's still going to be plenty of stuff in today's message for you. Um, But if you're not in a small group, we really want you to be. And we really want to encourage you to be part of a small group. And so what we've done is made it as easy as possible. All you need to do after the service is go back to one of the three kiosks, those little counter things, and there will be a mass of people back there helping you. But we will literally place you in a group today. We will hand you a little card of when they meet and and who the leader is. And there's really just, it will make it as seamless as possible for you to get connected. So if you still want to be connected into a small group, Uh, There's still room for you to do that. So grab your Bibles or your readers or whatever you use to follow along and look for Philippians chapter 1. We're going to read verses 3 through 11. Philippians 1, if you're using the blue Bibles under your seat, it's page 830. I want to remind you bring your Bibles every week. I want to remind you to be taking notes. We've provided space on the back of the bulletin today to take notes, so if you want to write there. But as you move forward in the next few weeks, if you are part of a study, Uh, We're going to ask that you actually bring your book, which you'll get from your leader at your first meeting. And you'll notice that each week there's a blank page that says sermon notes. And so the idea there is one of the things you'll talk about when you're together is what did you hear on Sunday. So if you're taking your notes right in your book, so starting next week, you should all have one. Bring your book, open to that page, take your notes right in here, and it'll make sure that you have everything kind of in a central location. And the sermons for the next eight weeks will connect. With the study, So that reminds me, too, to kind of remind you that you ought to make a priority to be here for the next eight weeks so you get the complete series and the complete package and you're ready to talk as you get together as a group. So, Philippians 1, verses 3 through 11 says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray. Lord, I just pray that as we unpack these few verses that you would just guide my words, that what's from from you would stick, and uh, I just pray that you would allow us to leave this place different than we came. Jesus name. Amen. So what I want to do this morning is I want to use this passage of scripture and I want to show you two prerequisites for growing. So if you are taking notes, maybe what you want to write on the top is just that. You want to write on white. Two prerequisites for growing up. These are not the only two. So my disclaimer is you don't only need these two, but from this passage there are two very clear prerequisites that we need To grow up. Some of you remember that we just taught through Philippians. We taught through the entire book uh, last year, and we called that series, anybody remember? A Satisfied Life. And what we determined as we read through that letter and as we studied it is that satisfaction in life is not determined by our circumstances. There's something deeper that real satisfaction, true life, comes from our connection to God through the vine. The more we're connected, the more satisfaction there is in our life. And so, so we talked about that through the whole series and, and, and unpacked that. And, and the question is, what does having a satisfied life have to do with growing up? Well, one thing that ought to come with maturity, with, with growing up, is the ability to rise above difficult or unexpected circumstances. Have you ever been around a child, and it's funny, every time I read that I think, maybe not even a child, have you ever been around somebody who's childish, so you can figure that out, um, who didn't get what they wanted and really life was over? This is the end of everything important to me, you've ruined my life, like you've made a decision they can't go out with their friends maybe, and you've totally ruined my life. It's it's never going to happen for me. So so I had an experience when I was 16 years old on my birthday. I did what a lot of 16-year-olds do on their birthday. I went to get my driver's license, and I failed my driving test. I stopped at a green light. I might have been nervous or a little overly cautious. I'm not sure. But I stopped at a green light, and they failed me. And I can tell you my life was over. It was the most embarrassing moment, maybe not in my life now, but in that moment, uh, you know, I think I, if I recall, I had a date lined up. I was ready. I was going to be driving. You know, I and I had to. It just it was hor- it was horrific. But I, you could not console me. You could not tell me that it was no big deal. That this will just be a blip on the map. It was life-altering. I was devastated. By you know, a week later, I didn't stop at a green light, and I got my license. So it it really is a blip on the map. But that's what I'm talking about. That like sometimes when we're young, sometimes when we're, we're we we do not have perspective a circumstance in our life can totally derail us and life is over. If you're raising a teenager, um, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you're married to somebody who acts like a teenager, then you know exactly what I'm talking about too, right? But here's my point, not to get off track too much. What I'm trying to to help you to understand is that, that we need to grow up. That God calls us to grow up. He calls us to, to grow in our faith and to become more mature. And when we grow up and we become more mature, then we're less affected by the circumstances of life. It's kind of funny that this morning was so chaotic because it was a great chance for me to ask the question Do I believe this? Because, man, there's a lot of things that just weren't working out this morning. Well, those are circumstances. Is it going to change my disposition? Is it going to change my connection with the Father? So. With all that being said, you understand there's two prerequisites for growing up. And the first one that we're going to see in this passage is community. One of the prerequisites for growing up is community. So I'm going to read verses 3 and 4, and then I'm going to read verses 7 and 8, and we'll see how we can see community in these verses. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all of my prayers for you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel From the first day until now. Jump down to verses 7 and 8. It said, It is right for me to feel this way about you. Since I have you in my heart. Whether in chains or defending or confirming the gospel. All of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. When you read these passages, you can't help but see some type of deep emotional connection that Paul has with this particular church. They are his friends. His, he even says in, in verse 3 that, that he prays for them with joy. When he prays for them, there's something that, that leaps inside of him. So he, he knows them and, and he loves them. And, and here's just a little side note. When you do the study, when you go through the Church Without Curtain study, one of the things you're going to be asked to do every week is pray for the members of your group by name. While you're home, while you're studying during the week, if you have a list of everybody's name that you would pray for. I mean, here's what I want to tell you. I believe that if we just did that part of it, it will change the landscape of grace. As we earnestly pray for one another, but I, what I know will happen, not only will it change grace, it will radically change your group because what will happen is your heart will become softened towards the person that you're praying for. You, you'll begin to be, have them on your mind. And Paul's saying that as I pray for you, I have this great joy in me as I think about who you are and God gives me the privilege of praying for you. So, so one of the things that you can think about as you move forward in your groups is how am I gonna pray for each other in, in my particular group? Look at verse five. He says, I pray for you with joy, and he says, because of your ongoing partnership. So they've partnered with him in the past, and they're currently partnering with him. He has, I mean, Paul's got a pretty substantial resume, if you will, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes, but, but he has this church that's partnering with him. He's, he's doing life with them. Verse 7, he says, I have you in my heart. Verse 8, he says, I long to be with you guys and share in your company. So there's this picture of rich community that Paul is, is painting. And, and Paul gets the fact that he needs community, not only for his ministry to be successful, but for himself to grow in the Lord. And, and we'll see that in a minute as well, that, that Paul's still growing. Paul's still becoming the person that God wants him to be. But when you think about the scriptures, when you think about the New Testament especially, you see community is, is, is spread throughout the entire gospel and throughout all of the letters. So what did you, one of the first things Jesus did when he started his public ministry is he gathered 12 around him. And he hung out with them, and he ate with them, and he did ministry with them, and he lived with them. And so if Jesus was going to bring community around him in order to be moving in his ministry, then how much more so for us to need that kind of, community? so he was modeling something for us. He was modeling community. And when you look at, at Paul, and you look at all the, or all the things that Paul did, Paul Paul, uh, every time he writes, he writes about who are the people that are with him. There There was Timothy, and there was Barnabas, and there was Silas, and there was Priscilla, there was Aquila. He was always talking about the community around him. And the reason for that is to remind us that we have to have people on the journey with us. There is an old saying that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And it certainly applies in our Christian journey as well. So, if you pay attention to your own life, if you really stop and you think about it, when you go through a dark season, when you begin to struggle with something, maybe a sin or something else, you will tend to isolate yourself. Let me say that again, because this really is how Satan gets you. When you begin to struggle, you will isolate yourself. And when you isolate yourself, whatever you're struggling with actually be- takes deeper roots. It actually becomes a much more difficult thing for you to get over. I have a great friend, a close friend. I love him dearly, and he struggles with a drug addiction. And there are seasons when he's in my life, and it's great. But when, when he begins to feel the temptation to go back to his vice, he disappears, I know he's going to fall because I can't find him. He won't answer my calls. He won't meet with me. He's isolating himself because he's feeling this pull. But how much different would his life be if when he felt that pull, if he said, I am in desperate need of community around me. I need you to hang out with me. I need you to pray over me. I need you to pray for me. I need to, what if he turned to God? But what he does is he, he isolates himself. And you know what we do? We isolate ourselves. When we go through a difficult season, we tend to isolate ourselves. And what I want to encourage you to is God wants just the opposite. When you get into a situation where it's difficult, he wants to say, look, I want you to be a church without curtains. I want you to run to one another to share where you're struggling so that you can be in the journey with one another. So we are designed to live in community. God exists in community. We are designed to, to be in community. And and the fact of the matter is, you and I have to have it. And it's not enough just to get together. It's not enough just to get there and, and do the study. It's not enough just to, to, to be in the room together. True community requires something more than just sitting in the room. It, it requires an, an honesty. It really requires that we tear down the curtain. That we are honest with each other and we're honest with God. I want to show you a little video, and the reason I want to show you this video is because there's an intentionality that exists in the video that we want you to think about. If you really want true community in your small groups, then you're going to have to be intentional about the things that you say to one another, the way that you encourage one another. There's, there's an intentionality that comes. So let's watch this video and see if we can learn something.
1: 20 things we should say more often. Number 20, thank you. And not just on Thanksgiving, every day. Number 19, excuse me. Number 18, here's a surprise corn dog that I bought you because you're my friend. There'll be more corn dogs, the more happy people. This is a good idea. Corn dog for you, corn dog for you, corn dog for you. Number 17, I'm sorry. Number 16, I forgive you. Number 15, you can do it, but don't say it if it's something you can't do. Number 14, another thing that we should say more often, I have barbecue sauce in my shirt too. Before you say something about the barbecue sauce on somebody else's shirt, take a look at the barbecue sauce on your own shirt. Number 13, please. Number 12, everything is going to be okay. Number 11, Oh, you got me a corn dog too? You shouldn't have, buddy. Number 10, I don't know. I know a lot of people who need to say that. My sister. you're so awesome I named my dog after you. Oh wait, wait, that could hurt someone's feelings. I mean boat. I named my boat after you, but you even have a boat. You're so awesome, I legally changed my name to yours. Wait, that's super creepy. Just tell people they're awesome and mean it. Number eight. Hello, person i never met before. Here's a high five. Number seven. My sports team is not always the best sports team. It takes a big man to say that. Number six. Nothing. Sometimes that's the best thing you can say. Number five. (laughs) Doesn't mean anything, but it's just really funny. (laughs) Number four. I disagree with you, but I still like you as a person who is a human being and I'll treat you like that because if I didn't, it would make everything bad and that's what lots of people do and it's lame. I need a water break, y'all. It's okay to disagree, but it's not okay to be mean. Number three, sometimes you just gotta scream. Number two, life is tough, but so are you. Sometimes we all need to be reminded to keep going. Number one, something nice, anything. If you can't think of anything nice to say, you're not thinking hard enough. So what about you? What do you think people should say more often? Leave a comment below and let's hear it. Oh, and i got a bonus one for you. Something that we should say more often, let's dance.
0: Yeah. So, uh, facilitators, when you grab your packets afterwards, you need to pick up your corn dogs as well. (laughs) There will be no corn dogs that I know of. Maybe you'll have a surprise. Hey, you know, I laugh at that, but every time I watch it, there's some kind of conviction in that, isn't there? Like sometimes what we need to say is nothing. We could all master that skill. Sometimes you just need to be together and, and have ears to hear. Um, I think one of the most powerful things that you can say in your small group is me too. So when someone's struggling, um, to just let them know I struggle too. It's sometimes all we need to hear and it helps us along the way. But it, it will require some intentionality. It will require that we show up. And I would love to hear my team's not as good as I think they are. That's just me. So two prerequisites for growing up. You've got to be in community. And the second thing is you've got to have humility. And here's the thing, as I, as I thought about this, this talk, the truth of the matter is you can't have community if you don't have humility. It's almost like these are building blocks. And humility really is, is the, the cornerstone or the foundation for whether or not you're going to have community. So if you have to have community before you can, or you have to have humility before you have community, and you have to have humility and community before you can really grow up. So, so what we often forget is just how amazing the guy is who's writing a good portion of the New Testament. Paul has a pretty... Uh, amazing resume. He's pretty accomplished, right? So he's he's probably apart from Jesus, the most successful church planter ever. So he's planting all these churches that are that are growing. He's having this this profound ministry. He's been used by God to do profound healings and deliverance, and and he's got all this stuff going for him. So you think about who Paul is, and and the thing that amazes me. As it is, Paul writes. He writes with a an air of humility. He writes with an understanding about who he is and inviting his friends to be on the journey with him. There isn't this this prideful place that that Paul ends up. He he says, "I just I I want you to be in partnership with me. I need your partnership." He doesn't say, "Look, if you guys are lucky, you can hang out with me because I got all this stuff going on and you get to be close enough to see it." He literally is calling them into a partnership with them. If you still have Philippians open, turn over to Philippians 3. I want to show you a picture of Paul's humility. In in chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, Paul writes these words. He says, Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, I forget what is behind and strain toward what is ahead. You see the picture of humility in there? You say, I haven't yet arrived. I haven't gotten a hold of everything I need to. I mean, this is Paul. He's done an awful lot of stuff. There's no landing on his past accomplishments. What he's saying is, God's still doing something, and I'm still trying to take hold of it. So if you take that passage, and you lay it over the passage that we read, 1 6. So turn back and go to Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. He says, being confident of this, it's almost the exact same language, just said a little bit differently. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. This one passage is huge for us to understand because this passage fosters humility in our lives. It's the, it's the understanding that we haven't arrived yet that none of us are, are where God wants us to be completely, and that he, Jesus, who began a good work in you, he, Jesus, is going to finish that work. He's going to bring that work to completion. But let's talk for a minute about the he who began a good work in you. You see, one of the problems we make, especially in the evangelical churches, is we make people think that when they said yes to Jesus, Jesus showed up, as if he was like sitting on the couch waiting somebody to say yes to him and then he shows up on the scene but the truth of the matter is if you've walked with God very long you realize God has been at work in my life all along before I ever said yes to him I see the evidence of God moving in my life God began a good work in you before you said yes to Jesus And there's this this picture of understanding that it's a movement of God in our lives. As a matter of fact, none of you could have said yes to Jesus if God was not doing a work in you because the scriptures say that all of this Jesus stuff, the scriptures, it's all nonsense to those who are perishing. The only reason it makes sense is because the Spirit of God helped you to make sense of it so that you could say yes to Jesus. So there is this God through his Spirit that's at work in your life. And the thing that happens when we start to understand God at work in our lives and that we haven't arrived is it puts us in a place of humility. The people that came up during the worship and and, and shared their story. I love the picture of God is at work. God isn't through. None of them were saying, I'm finally there. What they were saying is, I was like this, but now I've I've learned this about God. I've taken hold of something more, but none of them would say, I'm there. I've arrived. I've got it all figured out, and I'm perfect. This is so important for us to understand. Paul was humble because he knew that he was a work in progress. He writes, I haven't taken hold of it yet. I'm still trying to grab onto it, and he's saying, look, understand it. It's okay, you are a work in progress. When we understand this work in progress concept, it changes how we respond to ourselves and it changes how we respond to others. It will change your group dynamic substantially. Let me explain that. You see, if I expect you to be perfect, if I expect you to be the model Christian, to have it all figured out, if I lay that that burden on you that you gotta have it all together, you gotta be the perfect Christian, well, when you fail, and you will fail, when you screw up, and you will screw up, when you say something that probably isn't all that righteous, which you might, then I'm harsh with you. I'm judgmental with you. I, I come down on you. I, I, I judge you, and I, and, and I make you feel less than. I have this attitude towards you because you failed to be the Christian. And I can guarantee you, if you project that on other people, you are projecting that on yourself. You are living in a situation where you're always trying to be something that you're not. You're saying, i got to be the perfect Christian. And when you're not perfect, then you judge yourself. And if you just understood, look, God's at work in my life. Now, now I say all this, and we got to be careful. This doesn't mean we become complacent. It doesn't mean that we're not honest with ourselves and, and honest with our friends about things that are going on. It means that we're less judgmental, we're less, less harsh, and we're surrendering ourselves to a process of transformation. It gives us a place of grace towards ourselves and towards one another so somebody's in your group and they're not perfect guess what god isn't through with them there's the spirit of god at work in their lives and if you begin to trust the spirit of god at work in their lives and you begin to pray for them because you're going to pray for them throughout the week god will be doing the work and it allows us to move towards one another with grace and with gentleness so we still need to have honest conversations we need to figure out how to do it without laying the, the guilt trip on it. I don't remember his long sentence, but it's, it's, that, it's that encouraging, and I believe in you, and, and I know you might have made a mistake, but it's okay. It's, it's, it's just having an honest conversation. The work in process sort of reality fosters great grace in our lives for one another. Being a church without curtains is about being able to be honest with where we are, honest with where we're struggling, honest with, with what's really going on in our lives. It's being able to say, Look, I know I'm not supposed to feel like this, but I do. It's being able to say, You know, I, I know I'm not supposed to do that, but I do. You know, Paul wrote something very similar in Romans. He said, why do I do what I don't want to do and not do what I know I'm supposed to do? It was Paul being honest. It was Paul tearing down a curtain and saying, look, this journey of life, we still fall short in places. but But I'm okay with that as long as I'm moving forward with God. As long as I realize I'm a work in progress. As long as I really realize that he who began a good work in me will see it through to completion. It's an important thing for us to hold on to. But here's what gets us in trouble. What gets us in trouble is this one little sentence. Well, that's just who I am. Well, that's just who I am. Yeah, a bit like that. Remember, we're trying to grow up, so. So here's what I hear sometimes. You know, I know I'm really angry, but that's just who I am. I'm just, I, just, I just have a lot of anger. You know, I've even heard people say, you know, my anger is just because I'm passionate. Or I've even heard people say, well, it's part of my ethnicity. I'm sorry, because I can say this because I've actually heard it. I'm Italian. Not all Italians are angry, and I don't, I don't need a letter later. I'm just saying, I've heard people say, well, it's just part of who I am. I, you know, just, we're passionate people. And what I want you to hear is, is that's just who I am is a, is a cop-out. That's just who I am is, is a lazy way to go about life. And we would all say it to our kids, right, when, they, when they're not doing Well, that's just who I am, right? So I, I know I don't have any self-discipline, and I never really have. That's just who I am. I don't think God lets you get away with that. I'm not a very good reader, so I can't really study the Word of God because I, I, just, I, I, just, I, I don't have very good reading skills. Well, you know, the, the Bible exists in all kinds of forms. You can actually listen to the Word of God now and get as much out of it as reading it. So that's just who I am isn't going to work there. I had a conversation with a friend this week, and she said that God told her that she's supposed to memorize some Scripture. And she said, well, God, you know, I've never been good at memorizing Scripture. That's just not who I am. And then she said, but God told me which passages I should memorize. And then she, with a big smile on her face, said, and I'm memorizing scriptures." She didn't say, well, that's just who I am. I'm not going to move forward with that. It's a beautiful picture. So what we need to realize is who we are today is not who we're going to be tomorrow. Paul says that he who began a good work in you will see it through to completion. He who started the transformation process in you will see that transformation through to completion. And when we get this. We are so much more gentle with ourselves and so much more gentle with each other. Again, not complacent, but much more gentle. So today we're going to launch 91 new small groups. Um, Almost all of them qualify in some ways as as, uh, new groups because almost all of them are taking on some new people. So some of you have been together a long time, but you've shuffled the deck a little bit and you've brought new people in. And I really believe that this will be a turning point in many of your journey with God. You will discover something in this process. Not because there's something uh, that's going to come out of the study. Maybe it's out of the study. But because you're together. Because you're doing community together. Because you come together to have honest dialogue with one another. Because you're praying for one another. God will use that to begin or to continue the good work that he has started in you. When you meet this week, take some time to, to really just listen to one another. To really be in the process of, of entering into rich community and godly humility. What I love about this passage is I love the way it ends. So if you still have it open, and I hope that you do. Let's read verses 9 through 11. Because Paul ends it with this amazing prayer. So this would be our prayer as the leadership of grace for each one of your small groups. And I haven't said it yet, but I think it's important. If you just can't work it out to be in a church without curtain small group, everything I've talked about still applies to you. You cannot do this on your own. Maybe your life schedule doesn't allow you to be in a group, but you need people around you who are helping you in your journey with God. You need to be connected. So whether you are in high school or, or, or you're uh, an elderly, it doesn't matter, you have to have people around you. So begin to form godly community around you. Whether or not you are in a Church Without Curtains group, everything that we've talked about applies to you. So I think that's important. So this is our prayer as the leadership of grace. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. This is our prayer that your love may abound. Here's the the reality of the economy of which we live in. You are incapable of loving others in a godly way Without understanding how much God loves you. So the scriptures say we love because He loved us. Our ability to love others well is directly related to our understanding of how much we're loved. Those who are forgiven much love much. So last week we talked about the passion of Christ. Remember what we said the passion is is God's is Jesus'. So we talked about the passion of Jesus, and the passion really was his suffering and his love for us, that those were, words were synonymous with the passion of Christ. And what we talked about is when we start to realize all that was going on in the cross, that, that understanding of God's love, it compels us to make sure that the curtain stays down. It creates a place of safety, a place of understanding where we don't put a curtain. So the passion of Christ removed the curtain, and our understanding of the passion of Christ keeps the curtain down. It's what allows us to love others well. If you weren't here last week, I would encourage you to get the CD because it definitely connects to the whole study. But here's the bottom line. When you really meditate and ask the Spirit of God, help me to understand the grace that you've extended to me. And when you begin to understand the grace you've received, you begin to be gracious with other people. When you understand... How much Jesus served you by going to the cross. When you see Jesus as the servant, you become a person who serves other. When you begin to meditate and think about the length that Jesus went to, all of the things that he did, he physically put aside and all the sacrificial things he did for you, then you become a person who lives that way towards other people, of putting aside your own needs and being sacrificial for them. So there is this picture of us being transformed by the understanding. So Paul says, I pray that your your love for God would grow and more and more. But he says, I don't just want it to be a head thing. I want it to be much more than that. So he says, I pray that, that, that it will happen with a n- not just knowledge, but depth of insight. Depth of insight. The word insight there, listen to this definition. We'll put it up on the screen. It means a penetrating mental vision or discernment. Seeing into the inner character. Apprehending the true nature of something. Paul says, I pray that you would have a vivid mental vision of God I pray that you would see God's inner character I pray that you would apprehend the very nature of God and then then the answer to the why was he pray all this look at verse 10 he says so that you'll be able to discern what is best you will be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God because the depth of insight will allow you to make the better decisions because the depth of insight will allow you to be all that God wants you to be. I pray that you will have this depth of understanding. Be filled with the fruit of righteousness. The fruit of righteousness just means that your, your behaviors will change. You will become more compassionate for the needy. You'll be more loving towards people around you. That you'll be able to deal with the chaos of your life better and better. Our prayer for you is the same prayer. Our prayer is that your love will abound more and more with knowledge and depths of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best. You may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and the praise of God. Today we begin an exciting journey in a church without curtains. I hope that you are part of a group. I hope that you are excited about what God's going to do. But I hope that God expands your understanding of how much he loves you for some of you, as you've listened to this talk, you're not there yet. You don't get what God has done in your life. And I want to encourage you to come down and let us pray for you after the service. So we have people that are down here every week, and, and I'm going to pray over you, and we're going to dismiss. But for some of you, you're just not comfortable being in a group, and maybe that's what we can pray for. For others, you just know, I want to know Jesus this way. I want to know Jesus, and I want to know him more and more, but I have a block. Some of you, when I talked about isolating yourself because you're in a struggle, You knew right then that you need somebody to pray for you. I want to encourage you to come down and allow us to pray for you as you move into that struggle and help us to pray for victory and whatever that is. So would you just bow your heads and pray with me? Lord, thank you so much. Thank you for the movement of your spirit. Thank you that you are doing something amazing at Grace through uh, all of these small groups. Lord, I pray that you would stir in our hearts to pray with each other with joy, that you would create a, a foundation of small groups here at Grace. Lord, help us to be humble. Help us to know that you are at work in each one of our lives. Help us to see each other by the work that you're up to and not by some unrealistic level of perfection that we expect. Lord, help us to live lives sacrificial for one another. Lord, I pray for the people that know they need prayer. Pray that they would be bold enough to come down and not isolate themselves and allow us to just pray with them and pray for them. Lord, thanks for your son, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. You'll notice in your bulletins, there is a little pamphlet that says Spiritual Growth Assessment. You'll be asked to talk about this next week in your group. So we wanted to give it to you. You'll also be given it to you by your facilitators. it take you about 10 minutes to go through it, but we'd love for you to do that over the course of the week so you're ready when you come back in your groups next time. God bless you. Have a great Sunday. If you need prayer, we'd love to pray with you down here.